Hi, I'm Ben Houck. I'm Chris Heyer. And I'm Shane Foley. And this is Drop the Remote Podcast, a conversation show about Oppenheimer. We're going to drop the bomb on you guys, and there will be a thousand atomic bomb jokes in this in this pod. Fellas, it's been a long time since we've all been in the same room doing the pod. Had a baby, had a lot of life events. Catch me up. What have I missed? Shit's been getting real, you know? Really uh, real? Re- really, really real. Uh... I guess I didn't say anything about getting engaged on the podcast. So did you get I yelled at? Did going. you get yelled at for that? No, she didn't mention. She was on the podcast. She didn't say shit about it either. Well, that's so a fair, like, that's you a know, good call. shame on her. Even is it even situation? All full of Barbie Fajul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I got that going. For Congratulations, yeah. brother! Big yeah. congrats. Other than that, I don't know. How, how is the the eight wedding uh, summer going? I think I'm only still down like two. I, they it really starts in like September. Oh. I, I've we just got another one for two of our very very close friends who are out in Denver, and it's like an intimate like eight person thing. So we're obviously going to go. They're go. very close. You friends. You can't say no to the like eight person. But I'm like list. eight weddings in one season is fucking insane. It's absolutely insane. It's too much. It's, I financially, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I could have gone. I could have gone on like a European vacation. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. I do not envy you guys' this position. Um, I've been hanging out at home, just chillaxing with the dog. Who I don't know if you're gonna hear in the background, just kind of randomly dropping bones and stuff. But uh, we're you know we're we're hanging out at the Mojo Dojo uh, here in Albany, um, getting ready to pod about uh, Oppenheimer. Um, we just did Barbie with a couple follow-up notes on Barbie, but mostly one want to save and clear out the, the runway for, uh, Oppenheimer. But f- fellas, did, when you went to go see Oppenheimer, was the Barbie crowd too strong? Like what was, what was the situation when I went and saw Oppenheimer? I liked it. I, I mean, it was very, very, very pink, very pink, very pink, but I liked it. You know, it was, I was thinking about it on the way over here and I don't remember the last time there was an opening weekend for two films like this that like we're AMC fast pass members. Like I couldn't fucking get in the theater. Yeah. Like I was like, you couldn't like, I just needed them to scan my ticket and I was waiting in line for like 30 minutes. It was insane. Yeah. I have never seen at Crossgates the ticket booth. A, the ticket booth hasn't been used in like a solid three years. And B, there was now four people in the ticket booth for the weekend that I saw Oppenheimer. Um, my theater was sold out. The IMAXs were all sold out. Barbie was bonkers. There's people doing the Instagram photos. There's like clearly lots of influencers there on a Friday night hanging out. It was great to see uh, the movies are back, but for a very short time because the strike still looms large. But you know what? This has already been a good summer for movies, and uh, we're, we're happy to hear it. Well, we'll get through the year before we start to really feel it. I think so. You know, obviously, we got a big Scorsese film coming out. Oh, yeah. We got Dune 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still got some monsters uh, coming down the pike. So we're, we're excited about that. Television will be fucked, though, because any, anything that you were anxiously awaiting, I mean, think The Bear Season 3, mm-hmm. Stranger Things Season 5. I mean, anything that you were very excited for, like, have hit screeching halts. Yeah, the, the Stranger Things kids are going to be full-blown adults. They're probably going to be parents by the time that they <laughs> filmed the last season. So um, that might happen. Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've all seen some things besides Oppenheimer and Barbie. Maybe we'll get right into that. Um, as far as what what have you seen recently? So Shane, what what have you seen recently, man? All right, television. I finished the Crowded Room two episodes ago. I told you it was a steaming pile of dog shit. Did it get any better? 
it got like marginally better, but it was not good. There was there's like a pivotal, there's like a strong pivot in the show around episode five or six where you realize I, I at least thought that the show was more about his therapist than it actually was him. And it's no secret that he suffers from multiple personality disorders. And at the time, that was a very groundbreaking discovery for his therapist. But they spend like six episodes like being like, is he mentally ill? And it's so obvious that he is. And then they pivot and they actually spend like the back half of the show making it more about her fighting the system and the courts to try to prove it. And that made it a little bit better. It was good to see Amanda Seyfried back in something because I haven't seen her in a while. But four out of 10, wouldn't recommend. Speaking of recommend, per Benny's recommendation, I ripped through the bear season two, which was very, very, very good up until... I had some issues with the last episode. As a hospitality guy, I knew you would. <laughs> I just had some issues. Like, it was just, it wasn't even that. It's like the the dialogue in the last episode where he's like, I don't need to provide amusement. I don't need to provide enjoyment. I'm like, fuck you, Jeremy Allen. Get out of here. Yeah, it was a little ridiculous. And obviously, they're setting up season three. They know what they've got. They got to yeah. create some tension with their lead character. But like, because if everything just went off without a hitch, it would have been like, oh. So this guy's just going to run a happy restaurant. For sure. Yeah, no, for sure. The first two seasons of every show, obviously, are always the best in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's recent film. Ben, I think you saw it too. So we can break that one down together. I mean, I actually really liked it. I'm not a huge Anderson mm-hmm. guy, but I respect his work. It, yeah. it requires a second watch for sure. For sure. And just the nature of how much craft went into that movie. Like you look at his sets, you look at his costumes, you look at all the really clean, crisp writing and execution. And it's just like, yeah, this guy's clearly executing on a higher level than everyone, 85% or 90% of TV and movies. So like, you know, shout out for that. I don't think it's a must-see of the year, but it's definitely like a, if you're into Wes Anderson, great. You're going to, you're going to. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like people that love Wes Anderson movies in quick pause, it was nice to see Steve Carell back in something Mm. again too. But I feel like people that love Wes Anderson movies are like, it's almost like a cult following. Like, they will see anything mm-hmm. that he puts out. Like, he has a very, very, he has stands. He doesn't even have fans. Yeah. And, I, and it's nice to see so many people in movies, but I just wish they got to do more. I think that was my biggest gripe. Scarlett Johansson, our hero, Margot Robbie, at least my hero. Um, however, how many other people were in that movie that got to do? Edward Norton barely got to do anything. Brian Cranston barely got to do anything. Yeah. Tom Hanks barely got to do anything. When you when you have to pay Hanks money and you, you let him barely have seven lines of dialogue, maybe. Yeah. Like, it's just like, what, what are we doing here? So, and then, Asteroid City, again, not a, not a must-see, but a, it's nice to see. For yeah, sure. I liked it. Sean and I had a good time. And then I also saw what I will say is absolute, will absolutely be nominated for movie of the year. Maybe we'll win. I think it has probably the best new director out right now in her debut film, Past Lives. I thought Past Lives was absolutely incredible. It only released for like two weeks nationwide and then went away. I have a feeling the A24 will re-release this come come award season. They will campaign it. Especially with the lack of lots of new streaming stuff coming out. I have a feeling it's going to dominate streaming when it finally gets there. So um, it might be a streaming hero. What about you guys? What have you guys been watching? Uh, I guess I, I, I'll rip into my list here. Um, if you haven't seen it, Joyride is a really funny, good time. Um, it's the all Asian American female rom-com, uh, not rom-com, a raunchy comedy. Um, it's got a little bit of romance in there, depending on your definition of romance. Um, but it is a full like Judd Apatow style, raunchy, like um, trying to think like Pineapple Express, 
forgetting Sarah Marshall, like there is nudity. There is full frontal female nudity. There is full frontal male nudity. There is lots of jokes about double penetration <laughs> and the devil's threesome. It's got everything that I'm looking it's, for. It's got all the raunch <laughs> that you would want, but it's it keeps it fast paced and lighthearted enough that it it sticks to landing as a comedy and as a like a cultural journey for this Asian American Chinese uh, woman. I won't sp- I won't spoil the uh, the ending there, but um, yeah, it, it, it kind of hits the notes and it's just like it's a genre that's unexplored and, and good on Seth Rogen and uh, Evan Goldberg for uh, funding and producing more comedies in a in a genre that desperately needs them. Um, another movie that's been crushing Netflix is They Clone Tyrone. Um, I don't know if you guys caught this sci fi movie. Um, starring John Boyega, justice for John Boyega after uh, Star Wars and not being able to really deliver some of his best stuff. But cool uh, 70s, 80s kind of crime cop sci-fi thriller. Um, Basically, they go into a weird science basement and they find out some weird stuff has been happening to black people. And so uh, that's a genre that keeps on growing in the wake of Up and Nope and uh, not Up. What's the other one? Us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all of, uh, you know, there's another movie out, The Blackening. Like, there's more and more movies uh, starring all black cast um, that have been kind of hitting us a spot, you know? Yeah, you, love, been, you love to see it. Yeah. And so um, go check out They Clone Tyrone. Lots of famous people in it. Jamie Foxx killing it in that movie. So is he dead or is he alive? Jamie Foxx? He was in like a medically he's induced coma. Alive, for alive. Like, he's he doing? not doing great. Yeah, I think I'm he's saying. doing better. I don't, I can't, listen, I don't want to say. How do they not I don't hear? know. You didn't hear? Oh, yeah. He went down for a little while. A lot Jeez. of the conspiracy people were like, oh, he got a COVID shot. Now he's down. Oh, boy. So that whole thing. Happened. Okay. So I don't know. I <laughs> I think he's okay. I think he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's on the come up. Prayers again. up for but, yeah, it was, it was a little rough for a little while. Yeah, people thought he was going to die for a little while. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I've just been rocking on the couch, uh, following along with the Ringers rewatchables on uh, courtroom month. Watched uh, No Time to Kill, Primal Fear, My Cousin Vinny, always a classic. Oh, yeah. A uh, Few Good Men, Devil's Advocate, which is totally a wild oh. movie. <laughs> if you've never seen it, uh, Al Pacino is in Keanu Re- Reeves' ear. Oh, I've seen the literal devil in the courtroom. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty wild. Uh, the ending is absolutely bonkers. The Few Good Men, the Few Good Men court scene, especially when Colonel Jessup. You cut yeah. these guys loose. I mean, that is just an epic nine-minute Tom Hanks sparring match with Nicholson. Tom Cruise, yeah. Tom Cruise, sorry. Um, Jesus. Yeah. And obviously, Jack Nicholson, you know, early 90s peak coming off of Batman and a yep. lot of other stuff. So, um, yeah, just been rocking the couch. Chris, what have you been watching, man? Uh, all right. So, the the uh, After Party Season 2 okay. is back up. Excited about that. I've watched, I think there's, maybe there's a new one out tonight. There's like four episodes I'm into so far. Solid cast. Um, who's the guy, Gabe from The Office, that tall? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, lanky guy, what's his? He's in it, though. They got Ken Jong is in it. They got like some. Zach Woods. Some, yes, that dude's hilarious. Yeah, he's in, uh, what's the? Silicon Valley. Silicon, yeah. yeah. Silicon, also Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Silicon. And he's kind of the same. He's just like a weird kind of dude. Mm-hmm. And so he's yeah. the one that gets murdered in this. <laughs> and so that has been pretty good so far. Uh, the other one, I've been... I still haven't watched the finale of Righteous Gemstones. Heard only good things about Righteous Gemstones. Righteous Gemstones, Gemstones has been crush crushing it. Yeah. That, that shit is too good. And then the there's a newer one that I found. I'd been seeing some stuff on it. 
I guess it's not that new. There's three seasons of it, but uh, have you guys ever heard of the other two? No. Mm-mm. What's it on? So that's an HBO. Well, sorry, Max. That's a mm. Max show. Yeah, say it right. Like it please. started as an HBO show, but it's so it's these two. It's about um, so this kid becomes like essentially the next Bieber kind of a thing. Okay. And he's got two siblings, and it's kind of about them, like being the siblings of this the other huge, two siblings yeah, of a so massive like, child star. Yeah. So like his mom is played by Molly Shannon, and so like the first Love episode, oh, she crushes it. And the first episode is they're on one of the like morning talk shows or whatever. And they're interviewing the kid who's like the Bieber type, but then they're like, oh, but you also have some other kids. And she's like, oh yeah, my son's trying to be an actor. And it cuts to him and he's like, yeah, I'm interviewing or I'm reading for the part of man who smells fart at parties. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, he's struggling to do that. And then the daughter used to be a dancer or something like that when she was really young and stopped. And now she's kind of doesn't really know what she's doing with her life. Uh, and so it's them figuring some shit out, and it's pretty interesting. But it's H- funny. HBO can do no wrong. Like recommend or I would. Yeah, I've I watched all the way through. I got into it. Uh, one of the the main characters is a guy who does some great stuff on Comedy Bang Bang. Okay, uh, Drew Tar- Tarver, I want to say his okay. name is, and that was kind of what led me into it. Uh, but worth it. Definitely got some good laughs out of it, and uh, love a good comedy. It's a good casual watch. You don't have to be all the way into it, and it's not too demanding but it's good have we noticed like any have you guys noticed any like content rise or fall since hbo max just went to just max i mean have they even released anything like strictly from max yet well it's weird right because if they did it's not like it started yeah the idol sucked right but yeah that's hbo was supposed to be their summer that's that's all hbo that was supposed to be their summer hit sure that was bad the only uh, in on Chris's uh, kind of wild comedy recommendations, um, I did go back and watch Platonic on your recommendation, the yeah, Seth Rogen like um, burn show, and very pleasant, very nice, just be bopping around L.A. talking about how expensive real estate is and getting drunk, it's just crazy. kicking the shit out of those scooters all the time. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> did great. you watch? Did you watch Shrinking yet? I did not watch Shrinking. I got to get back. You got to watch Shrinking. Yeah. I know. I don't I know, know why I haven't watched it yet either. I thought you said you and Christy did watch it. Christy's watched it by herself. I've been Sometimes oh, she ditches me and just watches journey. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she took my advice. Well, that's the problem is, so she'll watch things by herself. And then when I go to watch stuff, I got to watch something with her that she mm-hmm. hasn't watched. And I'm like, I'm now I'm behind. Yeah, I'm, no, you're double behind. Yeah. You're behind times oh, two. Yeah, it's tough. You get in that hole, you can't get out. That's the ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's like just hit, whacking it right into the bunker. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, slowly chugging through Succession. I'm almost on the season one of Succession now. Oof. I've been watching it in the mornings, first thing when I wake up with coffee. <laughs> that is way to aggressive start way to start. Yeah. 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 Just getting really, blasted really in the is. face with fucks. But it also seems like the only time I can get an episode in. Have you watched the episode in season one yet? Where You said you're at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you go to Tom's bachelor party yeah, yet? Oh, yeah. Where oh, Tom's, God, like, that one's Tom's like, it's not technically cheating if it doesn't leave your body. I'm like, that is gross, too. Yeah. Um, no, that's... It, I... I'm excited to keep going. Um, the other show that just got back is Minx. Speaking of ridiculous uh, bachelor parties, um, Minx, if you had, it, another um, period piece, this is about a late 70s, early 80s um, female pornographic magazine. Um, so it features a lot of male full frontal nudity. And basically, it's a feminist magazine. Um, it takes the whole read Playboy for the articles thing and spins it to a uh, female intrigue of like read uh, play girl for the articles, basically um, for all the feminist uh, rhetoric and all that kind of stuff. Very funny, 
Um, what was big? I think I watched the first season and she's trying to sell her magazine, yeah. right? And the guy, nobody really wants to buy it. And one guy does, but he's like, we got to put a dong. dongs in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's like, no, but then the Burt Reynolds centerfold comes out. And Which was a real thing. Just and just takes over the world. And yep. so she's like, fine, I'll put the dongs in there. Exactly. And so season two, she's got new funding and they're trying to spread more of the message. And it's it's got legs so far. It's got um, legs and dongs. Um, but I guess without further ado, fellas, anything else before we get into the meat and potatoes here that we've all come here, we've been, we've been beating around, uh, around the country here and we got to get to Los Alamos. We got to get to where it's happening here. <laughs> um, folks, Oppenheimer came out, um, Christopher Nolan, you might know him. He's had 11 feature films. Uh, this is being his 11th, um, and arguably one of his best films. Um, this was his first, uh, universal film he finally left warner brothers after 10 films he got a hundred million dollars to make this uh which is cheap for his general budget correct in in 2023 standards that is relatively cheap let me run down the cast list because it's pretty ridiculous cillian murphy is our lead robert downey jr matt damon emily blunt florence Pugh, brent benny safdie uh kenneth branagh casey affleck uh David Krumholtz, we're getting a little down further down. Josh Hartnett, uh, I we're gonna also we're going full spoiler here. Josh Hartnett makes an appearance super early in the film, uh, but the next two names don't, don't pop out until later. So if you're not wanting anything spoiled about Oppenheimer, uh, we're like a month. How how long has yeah, it been? Yeah, this is this episode's full spoiler. Yeah, you yeah, came full, to the wrong full place. Spoiler. This is full spoiler. Um, so Rami Malek comes in as David Hill in the end, has a pretty great scene, and then Gary Oldman also just jumps off the top rope. Um, that's an insane cast list. Um, Nolan is back in his bags. Fellas, before we get into the history and the plot and everything else, uh, tell me about your general thoughts on Oppenheimer. Chris, you go first, because I actually haven't heard yours even off mic yet. Yeah. Um, I thought it was all right. You thought it was all right? I thought it was all right. Fuck I didn't love you, it. Chris. I didn't love it. I was like, I don't know. Okay, so my... I felt like I didn't do... It seemed like there was homework that I had to do before getting into it. Mm -hmm. The pacing is so fucking fast it's mm -hmm. it's and i'm trying to figure out like what's going movie. on and things are just moving and moving and moving and i'm like were you start little, were you a little bit high they, i was pretty high yeah that, well, that didn't not, help, that that didn't help. <laughs> yeah not I a movie to watch high. high before i went inside but yeah. also, maybe on your second viewing but not yeah. the first but like i don't know they start going around assembling their like avengers team and i'm like mm -hmm. am i supposed to fucking know who these guys a lot are? of scientists i don't know who these scientists a lot of scientists are. so like, turns the, out it took almost five thousand people to build the massive bomb, the dude from uh uh, the boys, what's that guy's name? Uh, oh, ja uh, Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, they're like, go get him, and I'm like, maybe I should know Stewie. him. I know the actor. And Stewie then... from uh, Stewie from the boys. He's such a bitch in the boys, though. Mm -hmm. He's a little. He's the boys. worst. In the it's boys. a great character. He, I did notice his character though. He he had one prop, which was that bon those yep. bongos, yeah, and yeah. he fucking went he got in with every those bongos out of those bongos. Oh yeah, he <laughs> he utilized them to the max. But I don't know. I just felt like I didn't. There's so much going on, and then the overlaying uh, Robert Downey Jr. story arc. Mm. I was like, "Well, I don't really care about this." Like, I, I do feel that the lead up to Barbenheimer affected my my thoughts on both movies because I was so inundated with the marketing and the media for both Oppenheimer and for Barbie. And Oppenheimer, Stephanie will say that like 
my YouTube algorithm looks like a freaking psychopath of how much I know about <laughs> nuclear weapons and weapons in general and just like everything Oppenheimer and World War II. Ben's and, on a list somewhere. And yeah, for sure, for sure. The FBI's got me targeted for trying to send neutrons into the middle of some <laughs> uranium-235 here. Um, but yeah, just the amount of like science and getting back into it so that by the time I saw Oppenheimer, I knew who... Um, some of these scientists were. I knew all the noble. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, if I had done were. that research, because would it make a lot more of them sense came, to me? Come and go so fast. So I didn't do the research before. So I I saw it twice. I will. I full spoiler. I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. I will probably see it a third time before it leaves theaters. The first time I saw it, that Chris, I actually had a similar problem. The like I you still got too appreciate. High. No, I, I didn't get too high. <laughs> I there were a lot of scientists and I was like I am having a hard time keeping up with who's who and keeping it all straight. Then I went home and did a little research, and then a week later I went and saw, not even a week later, two days later I went and saw it again. Mm. That made it a lot easier for me to break it all down. Right, and then I I started to know like I don't think you totally need to know the history beforehand, but if you don't know it, you need to watch it through a like you have to be stretched and ready to go cerebrally because mm-hmm. it, it is very, very fast-paced. It went blazing speed that they're going through. Like, each scene is, like, seemed like it was 10 seconds, and then we're on to the next one. And then they have, like, the one scientist who, like, betrays him later on, Tell and they're, like, focusing mm-hmm. on that guy a bunch, and I'm like, I don't fucking know who this guy is either. Oh, like, the hydrogen bomb. Yeah. Which was the Benny Safdie yeah. character, So, right? but here's the thing. Like, when we... Well, I think we'll summarize the plot in a second, but let's talk about the pace. Star the show. It's the crab. It's the most beautiful thing. I agree with that because there are very (laughs) few. So first of all, the movie's three hours long. And I felt like when I did not at any point in the movie feel like, holy shit, this is dragging on and on and on. But I also think if you go over three hours, then you're going to hit that point. There are very few directors in Hollywood that can make a biopic about nuclear physicists and have me on the edge of my seat for all three hours. Couldn't have said it better. I do want to say, though, so the I sat in the very back mm. uh, of the theater. We're going to drug test you before you leave tonight. <laughs> I might smoke something before I leave. <laughs> but I sat in the back of the theater, and then it was still fair. I went, what, last weekend, so it's been out for a little while. Oh, yeah. It's not, like, as packed as not it was. super crowded, yeah. But the guy next to me, or he was maybe two chairs over, mm. I saw him. He had Wikipedia out the whole time. He was on his phone, Wikipedia-ing How do you things. keep up while also reading Wikipedia? I don't know. He was not having... Yeah, plus, a, the guy not everything on Wikipedia could be true. Yeah, also... You true. don't know. Kid, kids double-source Wikipedia. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, the, the, the breakneck pace of it, and I, I am jealous that you even had two seats. I was in a sold-out theater, and I learned very quickly... That you're only entitled to the left um, hand side soda. Ooh, did you have an altercation? No, no, no. Just as soon as I sat down, the guy next to me on my right was just like, "Yep, that's my soda and that's my armrest." Everybody gets the left hand side one. I'm like, "Okay, but now he, I know." He verbally said that oh, to you. Oh yeah, no, there was like a pre-movie <laughs> like, "This is the plan." Like you know, and that guy like, has oh, had okay. some negative experiences in the middle seat on planes before. That's for yeah. certain. Yeah, and so I'm starting to think he overspreads. I, I do. Oh, yeah. I do think the viewing experience of being in a pack theater and like I got lucky enough to see an IMAX, which is pretty cool. Um, not an IMAX 70. Crossgates, unfortunately, is not that cool. No, you got to go to New York for that. But um. It was still pretty epic on the 35 millimeter in uh, good old Albany, New York, Smallbany. But uh, how, how how crowded was your theater, Shane? So we went opening night would have technically been Thursday night. We didn't we didn't go then. We went 6:30 on Friday night, and it was 
packed. Mm. And then we went again. We took my mom on Sunday night. And we decided Sunday morning to get tickets. And I was mm. like, Sunday at 6. We'll be fine. Yeah. We'll be fine. It was we managed. I mean, we didn't. We didn't have to sit in the front row because I just wouldn't have gone. Right. But it it was packed again. Um, question for you though, sure. for for you both, knowing the plot of the movie, and knowing that you know, the United States was in a race, definitely against the Germans, and they perceived against the Soviet. Was it the Soviet Union or the by Russians? that point the Soviets? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the Soviets at that point. Knowing that they were kind of in a nuclear race to see who could develop this thing first. I actually think going back to the pace of the movie, I think the pace of the movie was borderline a character within the film because it made you it, like you realize like, oh, this film is paced very, very quickly. But this is the this was the pressure that everyone was under to deliver. Yeah, he brought the anxiety of like what living in a nuclear world would mean. And like also just like I'm at home smoking cigarettes and drinking martinis while boys are getting shot in the islands in the Pacific campaign. And also like. Obviously, Oppenheimer being Jewish has a lot to feel for. You know, and it says this a lot in the movie of the European campaign. And so, like, the entire time, it was just like, we're doing this for our people. Like, we have to build the bomb. And even though it's going to be massively destructive, like, we're doing it to save lives, which is, like, the ironic way they just keep justifying it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think the breakneck pace, like, and it's been it's been compared to, like, an Aaron Sorkin. Like, I don't know if you've seen The West Wing or any of the other Aaron Sorkin stuff yeah. where it's just, like, bing, 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 bing. But it wasn't all dialogue-based. It was... A lot of the movie was quiet. And I, I love your note on here about the soundtrack because the Nolan, Nolan does this way of just quick editing and showing you things with the soundtrack doing a lot of the work. But he makes but, you think, too. But just... He, the, he doesn't say it to you directly. He makes you... Connect right. the dots. Unlike Aaron Sorkin, who's he gonna, can't make me do anything. Unlike Aaron Sorkin, who's going to beat high, you buddy. over the head with words, Nolan used the same pace that Sorkin can get with words, just with editing. And I think that's that's so beautiful. I I totally agree with you. I just re- before we, I think what's like fully diving and breaking it mm-hmm. down. But Ben, it would be Ludwig Göransson, by the way. Uh, soundtrack, huge shout out. Probably going to be nominated for the Oscar. Just. Uh, yeah, well, actually, we don't know though because Hans Zimmer and Dune too. That that'll be this will probably be the best like soundtrack year, soundtrack year <laughs> yeah. ever. Yeah. Ben, give. I mean, we know mm-hmm. it's a uh, Robert J. Robert or Robert J. Oppenheimer yep. biopic, but break it down quick. Give us three minute overview of the film. Sure. Um, so we're gonna put a link in the notes here of the Modern Marvels um, nuclear bomb episode. Um, it's forty five minutes. It's on YouTube. Literally, all the history is as condensed as I can find it is in that forty five minute episode. Shout out to the teachers who are just rolling the TV and showing you the Modern Marvels <laughs> reruns. Um, so J. Robert Oppenheimer, um, his family escapes Europe in the late eighteen hundreds. Comes in. He is a psychologically troubled child. He's diagnosed with schizophrenia pretty early in his life. Um, but he, they can tell that he's brilliant, um, through language first. He, there's a great scene in the beginning of the movie where he learns German in six weeks so that he can teach physics in German. And that is a real thing that happened to Robert Oppenheimer is that he could teach theoretical physics. I think Dutch. In, in, in German Dutch. Sure. Yeah. Um, so also a big fan of Snow White. In, in six weeks. Insane. Um, famously learned to read Sanskrit so that he could read the... Um, I forget the religious text, but that's where the famous I am become death um, line comes from. Um, Anyway, very, very smart guy. And he stinks in a lab. He's a theoretical physicist, right? And so he keeps going around and doing more and more work, bounces around Berkeley, bounces around Princeton, um, bounces around all these really, really high-end schools, bringing theoretical physics in what 
Einstein really started um, into the United States. And so by the time that World War II kicks off, um, the military is aware that a bomb could be built, that a, a fission reaction, a nuclear fission reaction could happen. It releases a ton of energy. Obviously, it's very destructive. Oppenheimer is on the short list of like, you brought physics to the United States. You're going to get tapped on the shoulder. We need all your friends to help make this happen, make this happen. So uh, that happens around 1936-ish, 37, somewhere in there. Um, and then he builds the Manhattan Project with um, the general, played by Matt Damon. Um, the general from the car insurance commercials? Leslie Groves. Leslie Groves. No, he's you. the guy from the car insurance commercials with Shaq. <laughs> so Leslie Groves, um, despite his concerns with Oppenheimer's Connections to communism. Um, obviously, at this point, in 1929, the Russian Revolution happens. Marx, the whole nine yards. Well, I like that that um, conversation they have of where he's like, "Well, we're not going against the communists, so like, what is it right? Matter? They're literally like, we're our allies Nazi, against Hitler Nazis, at that yeah. point." Yeah. Um, and so, despite his connections to the Communist Party, um, they still tap because Leslie Grove sees this desire and fire in Oppenheimer that he hasn't seen in a lot of other quote-unquote, science and pencil-pushing people. He taps him on the shoulder to lead the Manhattan Project. Um, Manhattan, it's interesting. So each general gets a district. And the and generally, it's like Northeast United States, Northwest United States, Southern, whatever. Manhattan was the code word for any project that was so big that it involved the entire country. Wasn't it supposed to start in New York? So too? it did start in New York in a lab. Um, but... Be obviously because of the scope of work, it needed to be bigger. And they also thought interior, it would be safer. So between, there was four main sites that helped build the Manhattan Project. One in Washington State, one in Tennessee, where they famously enriched all the uranium. Yeah, they mined it all. And right. plutonium that were going to be used in the two bombs. Um, and then... Um, Chicago. Chicago, which underneath the football field, famously. Yep. Um, the University Is that where Chicago he got the uh, Dark Knight Rises? idea from <laughs> potentially no one no, doesn't add up no one has clearly been kicking around the Oppenheimer uh, biopic for a minute and then Los Alamos which is where a good chunk of the movie takes place which is in the middle Ber of New Mexican desert Berkeley Berkeley and then Los Alamos is right in the middle right so it's Berkeley was where Oppenheimer's teaching where they they kind of get the game together and then they bring most of those scientists out to Los Alamos an interior state New Mexico in the middle of the desert where if the land war was ever brought to the United States they thought they'd have enough time to defend it to make sure that this weapon didn't get in the wrong hands. He knows Los Alamos well, too, because... A it, childhood. As a child, yeah. he went there when he got sick with dysentery, which now if you get dysentery, it just sounds like diarrhea and like take some thumbs and you'll be fine. Yeah. But back in 1929 when he was a child, or 1920s when he was a child, people died from dysentery. So they sent him there because I think they didn't know how contagious... I don't really know the full backstory, but I do know he grew up spending a lot of time in the desert of Los yeah. Alamos. You ever think about how many times you would have died back in the day? I don't think we're going to talk about my bowel movements. I'm, just, I'm not saying you specifically, <laughs> but like, I would have been... We've been all played Oregon Trail. Poor, poor Oppenheimer made it through that part of Oregon Trail. <laughs> oh um, anyway, uh, Los Alamos, they get the gang together, and it's this is a who's who of scientists, Niels Bohr. Um, it's the Avengers of scientists. It really is. Um, Isidore Rabi, uh, David Hill... Uh, Ernest Lawrence. It's it's all these Nobel Prize winning scientists that have won the award over the last several years. They get all of them together. It ends up being over 
I forget how many scientists, but it's 5,000 people in the middle of the New Mexican desert. Um, the numbers for how many people worked in all the different sites, I think it's like 75,000 in Tennessee. At one point, just the industrial plant that was refining the uranium and plutonium was the fifth biggest city in, in Tennessee during World War II. And it's just insane, the scope of these projects. And it, ma- it made me appreciate General Leslie Groves a lot more um, for making all five of these locations work in tandem with each other to make this bomb happen. Um, and anyway, so this is the part that most people know is Oppenheimer successfully does build a bomb. They do the Trinity test out in the middle of New Mexico. Clearly the bomb is extremely destructive. Then they deliver both uh, little man and fat boy to the United States government, which are dropped on Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki and Nagasaki respectively. Um, and then from there, the movie takes a hard turn into Oppenheimer's later in life where um, Strauss uh, a famous represent House of Representatives member. Yeah, he also who's he, in charge of the Atomic Energy Commission. Yes, um, which I think was conceived because of the atom bomb. Correct. And Oppenheimer, up until that point, had basically led it because he was the, you know, the pioneering physicist of the whole program. And because of his connections to communism and the way he is previously insulted Strauss, Strauss goes on a manhunt and gets Oppenheimer removed from this very prestigious position and basically removed from all the very confidential at this point, all the way through the cold war stuff on any nuclear weapons and any weapons of any kind. So that's, that's the general plot. And again, go watch that modern Marvels episode. Cause it's going to go way deeper into all the historical facts. And the fun part about this is all this stuff did happen in real life. Uh, despite being fiction, you know, dramatized by Nolan. The one thing to add too about the Louis Strauss uh, manhunt too is, not only did he want to get him removed from all that, he wanted his reputation just dragged through the mud to the point where it is irrelevant to him. We break the movie down. He wanted his reputation dragged through the mud, yeah. and him basically like he wanted to publicly tar and feather him. All because he said something. All because Strauss thought he said something to Einstein that ruins. Strauss's reputation back in Princeton. Is that accurate? That then, part yes, of the movie is yes. accurate that that's what it's he all, thought it, happened? And then much more publicly, Oppenheimer also makes fun of Strauss in a legislative hearing because um, Strauss has a bad conception of the science of it. And Oppenheimer makes a lot of Something like... about I'm isotopes way, or whatever. Yeah, right? I'm and, way yeah. smarter than you jokes. And um, Strauss does not take very kindly to that. What did you... That's the... I, I realized when I said, break it down in like two minutes, I was... <laughs> Right when I started, I was it's like, a three hour movie. I was like, there's no way you can break, break this down. thing down in two minutes. So, and that's the thing with the breakneck pace, it gets through all of that information in an entertaining way. And I think that's yeah. obviously one of the coolest things that this does. What did I, you what did you love about it then? Like what what like who stood out to you? I mean, obviously Killian Murphy is just like yeah. I, that, I mean, that he, was just he's the star of the show, and I think it's the premiere performance in the whole movie. If you if you're going just on acting craft. Um, he has to play a psychopath, alcoholic man who was eating only like a handful of almonds, a martini, and like two packs of cigarettes a day while say, building a weapon that forever changes history. Like this dude is an absolute psychopath in the way that he can stare down his fellow scientists and control people to get done what needs to be done to race against, you know, the Germans, the Nazis, as well as the rest of the world that gets it done. Like, that's insane. Like it's an insane part. And he, he's very convincing in it. And he's also just got that hollowed out, like skeleton kind of body, you know, he's up there. This performance was up there with, for me with Daniel Plainview and, uh, uh, there will be blood Daniel Mm. Day Lewis depicting Daniel Plainview and there will be blood. I mean, I thought it was, 
he'll absolutely be nominated for best actor. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. There's still five months left in the year. I don't see a world in which he's not winning. Yeah. My my only issue is like, obviously, uh, There Will Be Blood has some show-stopping theatrical performances where Daniel Day-Lewis gets to go way over the top with like, I drink your milkshake and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Where Celine Murphy is always this reserved, Subtle. I'm a scientist, I'm intellectual. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to push around military men. Like, that's just not who he ever was. Um, but he gets all these really cool moments. One of my favorite moments of the whole movie is when him and Emily Blunt, um, Kitty Oppenheimer, um, are in the hearing with Strauss at the end. And he says, my wife knows what a relationship is. We've been married. She's a big girl. She can handle herself. We've walked and through fire together. We've walked through fire together is the quote. And the understanding in that line and the way it's delivered and the way that Emily Blunt looks back at him. So there was some real acting magic and, and lots yeah. of moments in this movie. And, and he's in there. The, the chemistry with him and Damon on scene on uh, on scene two. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when he shared the screen with he shared the screen with Damon, he was incredible. When he shared it with uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Louis sure. Strauss, he was incredible. All this. I mean, it, I think it's really easy as a fantastic actor mm -hmm. to shine when you're like I've found that a lot like the more film I watch like when you are a great actor mm -hmm. and you're sharing the screen with another great actor it actually just makes you better and it makes the other one better too what do you think Chris I think cigarettes won the movie <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean I'm not I'm not gonna fight it I mean martinis and cigarettes are yeah. a prominent player in this movie I don't know I'm I thought it was funny like uh, what's his name Rami Malik yeah, Ronald yeah. Malik, yep. That guy shows up for like a hot second yes. in like the middle of the movie. And I was thinking, well, that can't be it. That can't be all this guy's going to be doing. <laughs> like, that's too big of a guy to be just one scene guy. Right. Yeah. He was just like yeah. an assistant to somebody else. And I was he like, always well, plays the same character. He creeps me out all the time. Yeah. His eyes, there's something about those eyes. <laughs> so it, it's funny you say that about Rami Malik, too. So let's, I think it's a good pivot. Let's break down. Gene Tatlock's character mm -hmm. because something she said actually like shines a lot of foreshadowing light onto Rami Malek's character. So Gene Tatlock played by Florence Pugh is Robert Oppenheimer's lover. And I don't think it, it's more than just a physical attraction there. They, he loves her and she loves him, but she has emotional problems and he also has emotional problems and they're just, it's like oil and water, but they keep, for lack of better word, words, hooking having up. a very physical relationship. They a, yeah. <laughs> there are some very graphic sex <laughs> scenes in there, but it's funny because they have an actual like intellectual relationship too. Mm -hmm. So he, it, it's very subtle in their intro. It's like at a communist cocktail party. He says there, she says that she's a therapist and he's like, mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I'm just finishing my therapy, mm -hmm. which is matters because in the first 45 minutes of the movie, you see him as very, conflicted and emotionally immature and like tries to murder a guy tries to murder his apple, professor all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but he clearly has problems and then they don't really dive into how he kind of like isn't depressed anymore but they kind of shine light onto it with that line but in another scene with gene tatlock he says something about all of the professors at berkeley and all the scientists and he's kind of i don't remember exactly what he says but he's kind of like poo-pooing them he's like putting them down and she says don't alienate the only people in the world that understand what you actually do mm -hmm. because you may need them someday. And it's funny because when he interacts with Rami Malek, they only have a few scenes together. They probably share the screen for 
at most one sixty seconds. They're trying to get him to sign the petition. Yeah, and he like smacks the petition away, and then like he drops a pen in the lab, and he kind of like gives him shit for it. But it's funny because he is very dismissive of Rami Malek's character. But then when the hearing, when they have the congressional hearing that Louis Strauss is trying to basically ruin Oppenheimer's public image, Mm. Rami Malek's character is the person who ultimately kind of saves him. No, that's after, right? Okay, so my, the way I saw it, because it kind of is broken down into three sections, right? There's like the Oppenheimer story of, and they kind of interweave all of them, but there's the Oppenheimer building the bomb, getting the band together, Mm -hmm. like all that stuff. There's him getting interviewed by this small panel. Who's that? Act? Did you write down? I know yeah, I'm jumping. Uh, that Robert, actor that's Rob. giving him the shit the whole time. Yeah, I got it in here. It's the guy who plays the Jason Clark is yep. the counselor for, and I, he's been in a ton of stuff. But he's, he's, he's always Clark. an asshole and like everything. Yeah, exactly. He's great at he's that. He's a re- he's a real person too. That 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 character's not exaggerated. I think his name was like. It's like Roger Rob or something. Yeah, but, but he was hired to be very inflammatory this whole time. But yeah. that's like, going on. And that how? What's the distance between that? Like time distance between that and then when they're trying to get Robert Downey Jr. sworn in? Because those those are two separate times, right? It's those very are, it's very close. I like, thought they were farther. I thought that was like a no. A that's ten all, years in the past. That's or something all like part that. of op, That's all part of uh, Louis. That was all part of Louis Strauss's like elaborate plan. To basically completely... Because I thought that was in, like, the 50s. That seemed like that was more of, like, a Red Scare time frame of, like, communism. Like, everybody was really worried about communism and shit. And then it seemed like it was closer to, like, the six, late 60s, early 70s that they so were 19, trying to... 1954 is when he when Oppenheimer gets taken out of the Atomic Energy Commission. So between, obviously, 45, when they dropped the bombs, and 54... Not super long time. Right, but then after that, from that Because they to... say seven years. They were like, they do reference, dirt, like, in the interrogation, he's like, well, you had no problem dropping the bomb seven years ago, so what are your reservations now? So he dropped it in, what, 45, you said? 45. Right, so but it's 52. From, from that to when Robert Downey Jr.'s character is trying to get into the cabinet, what's that distance of time? I don't think that long. I think that's all part of the same ploy. I thought that was in, like, the 70s. 1959. So oh, really, uh, yeah, yeah another like five years later, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So and I think like, it seemed farther apart. Like you know how you know how Congress moves, all the bureaucratic bullshit. <laughs> Get them. No, I mean, but I, I, I did think it was like in my second viewing, I, I picked up that line from Florence Pugh of "Don't alienate the only people in the world that understand what you do." And it's funny because you realize part of Oppenheimer as divisive as he was and and like Truman hated him in real life. He hated him. Mm. But as divisive as he was and even the people that he treated like shit, like Rami Malek's character, they still worshipped him for what he brought. Like he basically brought like science into politics and like made them like politically relevant well not even that, that time but right. like I, I really enjoyed the it was kind of a quick line but i thought it was really funny it, when they're it's one of the earlier scenes of them interrogating oppenheimer mm. about his past and they're like oh you you know we're doing a bunch of science abroad you were doing all this stuff why weren't you doing it in the united states he's like well there wasn't anything good in the united states and they're like well we thought berkeley had something pretty good he's like yeah i 
I brought I brought that here. Yeah, I yeah. made that. Yeah, he, of course. Like I can't learn anything from that because that's all me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Insane. Rami Malek plays David Hill, by the way, Nobel winning another Nobel Prize winning physicist. Um, but yeah, who famously cleared Oppenheimer at the Strauss hearing and recommends to the Senate not to put him in the cabinet because of the, not having the best interest of the United States and yeah, it's at vindictive. Heart. Yes, exactly. Um, Keyword there. Dick. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love the Rami Malek character. Great one scene. Um, let's let's get the other one scener off of here. Gary Oldman as President Truman, um, who goes down as the man who dropped two bombs and who outlived FDR. Obviously, he is a one termer after FDR. Um, and you he know, had he, a badass line too of "They're not thinking about you. I'm the one that." But dropped. that's so. That's a real. That conversation is like almost from my understanding, it's almost quote for quote, yeah. like accurate. Get that, don't and let that crybaby back pulling in. Here the, or pulling the handkerchief out when Oppenheimer says, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I have blood on my hands. He pulls the handkerchief, he really pulled the handkerchief out and handed it to him. I was like, then wash him clean. Mm. And but not so not for nothing is before 2023, little Ben Haug brain over here legitimately did think the bomb was remembered as Truman. Like Truman decided to drop the bomb to end the war. And that that's always what I was taught in school. Like they don't tell the story of Robert Oppenheimer in, in my grade school education anyway, to the point where I thought Einstein was a bigger part of the Manhattan project than he, than anybody, these other names I went on to learn about Niels Bohr and Teller and all these other people that were obviously a humongous part. Well, somebody has a line about how they're like, it's one of the scientists. I think they're talking and they're like, you know, it's we don't we just built the tool we hand it to them and yes. they choose they how to use it. Yeah, we yeah, don't get to choose. Says it, but it's Ben. It's funny you say that because I don't know that I buy the idea, but I think Christopher Nolan's central idea behind this movie is just exactly what you just said, which is that like he believes that this may be the most important person to ever exist in the history of the world. Mm. I don't think that I buy that. I, I don't. I couldn't give you a ranking of the most important people of all time. Well, it's weird, Obviously, right? Andre 3000 but is on that list. He's up there. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, way up there. But, like, that's the whole point of, like, you never learn in school that, like, hey, Robert Oppenheimer did all these the birth incredible of the atomic age. things. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. we now know how catastrophic the atomic bomb is. But when you view it through the lens of, you know, I don't know, and we don't, he was obviously very, very conflicted and, mm. like, emotionally ruined about it after the fact. But I don't think he invented this ahead of the time being like, this is going to destroy half a million lives right. and, and radically change the course of the world. I mean, nuclear weapons are part of like everyday politics now. At the time, they didn't exist. People would get in foxholes with like muskets and rifles and fight like well, that. Well, there's weird progression of like, there used to be this weird romanticized vision of war mm. before even World War One, where it was honestly mostly a bunch of white dudes showing up somewhere where they had all the guns, and then yep. they're like, yeah, this is cool. We can do whatever the fuck we want. And then all of a sudden, machine guns are part of it, and people are just getting fucking laid yeah, out. Yeah, suddenly it's not romantic in any yeah, way. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. shit, no, I'm gonna die. Do, you, yeah, do yeah. you agree, though, that that's, I mean, that's one of the big, that's the one of the big concepts he's that's, trying to sell in this that, movie. In any part of the end of the Oppenheimer, I, now I'm mixing my modern Marvels and my Oppenheimer together, but it, basically, there's a graph of how many casualties of war happened before 1945. And then after 1945, it's just like, it goes right, it's, you know, right down to very, very low numbers relative to pre-1945. Obviously, World War II, bloodiest conflict ever seen on Earth. 
and not sense, right? Yeah, but I mean, the the argument could be crafted that nuclear weapons have probably brought a long-standing peace. Yeah, yeah they've probably like. Well, that's why the Cold War, War was as cold as it was, right? Because it was. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 but that's true. true. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know I what laugh, I mean? Like, it's true. It, it really sounds weird, but yeah, like the reason we didn't do shit was because both equal. What, what's the equal destruction or whatever yeah it was what's mutually the assured destruction yes, exactly yes. He, he says oppenheimer says in the movie or Kelly murphy says in the movie he says right now the united states and the soviets are basically like two scorpions stuck in a glass jar together we could kill each other but at the expense of our own lives mm-hmm, and right. i think that nuclear weapons have long kind of established that we're like everyone's kind of just in this holding pattern when we go to war now and obviously I'm not saying that without nuclear weapons, World War III would happen, but the argument could be made. Is, is Putin going to drop it on Ukraine? Like, not to get really fucking dark? His thing is like, blowing up a power plant, a nuclear power plant. That way you don't actually drop the, other, the bomb. The other, the other big concept in this movie, I thought, so there were, mm-hmm. there were two. That was one of them. I actually think the Gene Tatlock, don't alienate the only people that understand what you do, is a pretty significant, like, minor plot. And also Nolan winking directly into the camera, being like, I'm one of, like, ten directors who knows what the fuck's going on in this industry. Yeah. Wink, wink, brilliant geniuses that live on an island on their own. And I'm like, Nolan, call me Jets. You're not quite the Oppenheimer level, but, like, let's... The other, the other concept I think that he was trying to sell in this movie is the Lewis Strauss concept, which is that we, we live in this world where people who really aren't credible are able to like critique people that are creative geniuses and like we'll just use donald trump for example like he is not someone who's a a credible politician and we live in a world where he got fucking elected to be our president or businessman really exactly so many many of these other things and i think Uh, it's like hey the idea here is like why do we let these people who aren't qualified to like have these like such cutting opinions let them carry so much weight against people who are creative geniuses. Like what right do these people have to like, what right does Lewis Strauss have to run an atomic energy committee when he has no credible knowledge whatsoever? Mm-hmm. What right does like, what right do people who critique like music and movie and food, like movies and food, like what right do they have to do that? Well, it's all personal opinion in terms of movies and music and food and that kind of stuff where like, that's very, Subjective as yeah. opposed to, yeah. But where there's the weird thing of like, okay, you know, they get that paper that comes out where they're like, hey, we split an atom and they're reading it and they're like, we're all thinking the same thing. Somebody's going to make a bomb out of this. Mm-hmm. And the Nazis have this head start and it's like, all right, well, fuck. The Nazis suck. <laughs> we <laughs> can all out, agree yeah. the yeah. Nazis, not cool. Not very Pretty cool. Pretty popular at all. opinion. Yeah. So like, we like, you know, that they're going to, use it for whatever and then we create it and there's that debate that they're having i think oppenheimer walks into that group of people talking it's yeah like the at, scientists, los, at los alamos but yeah. they're trying to debate like sh- we shouldn't use should this. we give it to them or whatever and there's and i think even at the the scene where they're sitting around the table uh with robert downey jr or whatever and they're trying to say like well can we just tell them we have it mm-hmm. like can we be yeah. like hey look this is it we and, don't want to use it but and, we could uh, yeah Oh, probably the second most powerful scene in the movie is like we have to show them so that the world will understand the real destructive power yeah. of this thing. You can say it all because you want. Because people don't understand science in the theoretical until you show them. Well, there's this video I saw on Reddit recently. I because I 
obviously got home from the movie and start oh yeah looking up dive Oppenheimer probably shit. spent three hours on Reddit that night didn't you <laughs> uh, I fell asleep I was pretty high but I did I, there's a video there's like actual footage of the test like the the test that they yeah, do the Trinity test, yeah. and so you can see it's it's interesting to see these guys like kind of happy go lucky excited like setting up for the test yeah and like laying down like they look like they're having a little slumber party they got all their little mats and they're like laying down turning around and shit mm-hmm. And then the bomb goes off, and then it cuts back to these guys, and their faces are just like, what the fuck did we just make? Like, Mm -hmm. this is wild. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because one of the... So, Teller, I think... I don't know what his first name is, portrayed by Benny Sadfi, is a Hungarian scientist who ultimately invented the hydrogen bomb. And he says him and Oppenheimer are having a lot of issues throughout the movie, but Oppenheimer always recognizes that he's very brilliant because Teller says outwardly, like I'm leaving Los Alamos. Like, I I don't believe in this. I want to work on the hydrogen bomb. I don't think you understand like what you're doing here. And he's the only person that Oppenheimer throughout the whole film is like, no, please don't go. Just stay here and research and I'll meet with you once a week. You don't even have to work on the project. And so I, I think it's funny because I do think that Oppenheimer had a weird level of respect for him. And then he tells Oppenheimer after, or like right when the bomb's getting made, he says, do you even know what you believe anymore? Because I don't think you do. And you have everyone else believing what you believe. And I don't think you know. And I think it's like really funny to think about people who are creative geniuses like that, where I don't, I don't really believe that he thought through, which leads to all the guilt, the clear guilt from him after. I don't think he really thought through like the ramifications of what he invented. Well, I also don't think they expected it to be what it was, right? That's what I'm saying in the video where you watch it and they think, yeah, we made this cool bomb. It's going to be a big explosion. And then you see the reality of what you made. And, like, oh, and holy shit, all, this is like... Yeah, and, and I love that too. It's probably one of you know, these dramatic scenes, but like they have all these meetings and all the scientists are like, no, we should not drop the bomb. We should just drop it on a, a neutral site so they can see the destructive power. The world will record it. We'll put it on the news. And obviously that doesn't happen. They, they say it has to be used tactically against Japanese to end the war, which, you know, arguably to this day saved tons of casualties. But, um, you know, same deal with the hydrogen bomb is like, why, why bigger? And that, that was Edward Teller's big thing too is, if if this is step one, what what comes after, and like how much more will this escalate? And everyone agrees, like, and when you go down the the, the rabbit hole of all the science, is like the first two atom bombs were minuscule compared to the bombs that were later deployed in the 50s, 60s, 70s. In you know, basically when we stopped testing them in the 90s, like they blew up entire islands, and they were like hundreds of times more powerful than the little boy and fat fat man. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was Edward Teller's argument is just like, this is only the the, the beginning. What is, what is the next step? Like, are we, you know, is this space laser that can just cut through a planet like a thing? Like, whatever the next thing is, right? And so um, I, I think his interest was to always have the upper hand and not just have the upper hand temporarily. And so, like, that's the interesting thing. And, like, it's kind of crappy that Edward Teller uses politics. Like, he's with Strauss to get Oppenheimer thrown out because he wants the hydrogen bomb and his major achievement seen and and get accomplished. But I don't think that but, he... But it's so, like, that was interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. like, I think that he's kind of with Strauss, but for different reasons. Yeah. and but He I, wants I don't, to progress science, where Strauss is just like, I, I want to prevent communism. Yeah. But I also think, like, 
it was interesting during the hearing because they brought Edward Teller in and he told the truth, which mm-hmm. is he was like, I don't, I believe that Oppenheimer is loyal to his country and mm-hmm. I'll always believe that until you actually show me real proof that he's not. Right. But he also was like, have there ever been things that he did that you didn't agree with? Because like, Oppenheimer didn't want to push the hydrogen bomb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that the it's funny too because Emily Blunt, who portrays uh, Kitty Oppenheimer, yes. who who is Robert's wife, hated Edward Teller because of the fact that he basically is Judas to him. Like he, mm-hmm. he she views him as Judas, and I thought it was really funny that they show Oppenheimer being decorated as an old man in the mm-hmm. White House, and him and Einstein have this awesome dialogue about it, where he's like, Einstein tells him he's like it's your turn now to carry the burden of what success actually means in this community. And it means that they're going to hate you and criticize you. And like everything that happens, good or bad will be your fault. Well, and what's he say? He says like, they're going to, they're going to be giving you these awards and stuff, but they're actually going to be like, it's for them taking your power away. They say, he tells me, he's like, it's, it's the awards are for them. They're not for you. But it's funny because she cannot get over the fact, like uh, Kitty Oppenheimer cannot get over the fact that Oppenheimer has this kind of deep-seated respect for Edward Teller. Mm. And she's like, I can't believe you shook his fucking hand. Oh, after he after yeah, talks yeah, yeah. To After the he did that to you. And, yeah. and then they show, and I actually loved this scene. That was badass. Because I'm, I'm, I'm very spiteful too. I love the scene where they're in the White House like 30 years later and he's getting his awards and Teller's there and he goes up to shake Oppenheimer's hand and Oppenheimer shakes his hand. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to shake Kitty Oppenheimer's hand and she just looks at him in disgust and doesn't even move her finger. Yeah, that was badass as fuck. It, it's insane the amount of content this movie gets through in two hours in a way that is both entertaining and fast-paced and breakneck. Like, we keep breaking down like the difference between all the communism stuff and all the psychology stuff and all the war and peace stuff and all the atomic science stuff. And it's all these super heady intellectual arguments and topics that somehow is made entertaining. I think that's, to me, like the peak yeah, magic it, of the movie. It's, it's like It's exactly what... Christopher Nolan does where mm-hmm. he he makes you think I mean I don't remember the last time I've seen the same movie in theaters twice let alone twice in 48 hours mm. but before we so I do want to get into what we all didn't like about the movie because I think sure. it, it, that also kind of establishes credibility on the pod yeah but just I want to quickly call out the actors and actresses who I think will probably be nominated so Killian Murphy was Oppenheimer. Lock I think I think he's actor. a lock for best actor. The guy from Drake and Josh, lock. <laughs> so Robert Downey Jr. I thought was absolutely incredible. I think he's a lock to be nominated for best supporting. I don't know if he'll win it, but I think he'll be supported. But I think he'll be nominated. Wait. But it's interesting because do you think Damon will also be nominated? Do you think we'll have a film with two best supporting actor nominees? Because we saw it last year with Everything Everywhere All At Once with supporting actresses. Maybe. It, it depends a lot on what other films come out this year. Um, I don't... Matt Damon has this nice, like, light exposition star role. Like, he doesn't get to do a lot of big, dramatic scenes. He's just kind of like the star that quickly moves the plot along and gets the band together. Yeah, he's, and, but, he's really efficient. But exactly. He's just efficient acting. Like, I, I make the sports analogy here. But, like, um, yeah, I, I don't... In a normal year, I don't think Matt Damon would get nominated. But because this year could be... Not that many contenders. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, I also thought, I thought, I don't think he's going to get nominated. Ro- Robert Downey Jr., I think, is the other 
lock for supporting. Yeah. Actor. Oh, yeah. He was, in, and it was honestly, how nice was it just to see him back not as Tony Stark? Absolutely. Yeah. So three actors right off the bat. And then I think there's an argument for maybe one supporting actress. I, I think Florence, I think Florence Pugh over Emily Blunt. And mm-hmm. we'll get into why not Emily Blunt because that's one of my my aggravations with the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr was really, really good. I don't think he'll get nominated. Mm-hmm. It, I feel really conflicted saying this because he's been accused of terrible, terrible things. And if they're true, he's a terrible, terrible person. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to see Casey Affleck back again. Sure. And how weird is it that he's now become an actor whose fucking voice you recognize without seeing his face? Mm. I didn't know who it was until they So he it. plays the... Um, he, he's out to find the communist connections. He's the guy who's constantly smoking a cigarette behind the desk who's helping Strauss pin communism on Oppenheimer. But he's always been at Los Alamos the entire time. So he was one of the people who were arguably either getting secrets out or in or investigating for communist well, secrets. Was in. he at Los Alamos? Because yes. the way that they talked about it, Matt Damon at least talked about it mm. as like he tried to keep him separated from everybody else. Yeah, because he was worried. Like about... He didn't want him to meet the people for whatever reason. I guess I would have to fact check. I yeah, thought I'm not Los Alamos, I just remember yeah, that yeah. one thing of Matt Damon being like, "Oh wait, you mm. met him. Like you shouldn't have met him." His character is interesting though, because Ben, you want to? Uh, we talked about this off off mic before we started. Mm. I didn't know this until after the fact. I'd, my one of my buddies, who's a huge history buff, told me this. Yeah, the, the big one is the conspiracy over whether Gene Tatlock, Oppenheimer's lover, whose known Communist Party connections, um, was she took her own life in the movie, and that's largely to believed to be the case. She drowned herself in a in a tub, which also I thought the body always fought back and would like undrown yourself and like throw yourself yeah. out of the water. Um, but there's a lot of reason to believe that there was foul play and that she may have been murdered instead of um, because she was sneaking potentially with Oppenheimer, um, secrets about the bomb to the Soviets. Um, and so whether there was foul play and she was murdered or whether she was suicide, um, and the they movie think, lives that, leaves that ambiguous. They think Casey Affleck's character... It ratted it, her right, out yeah. and potentially did it, right? Yeah, they think they found, like, a, her apartment was, like, destroyed. There was, ev- there was, there was a lot of that, from what I understand, again, it was, like, 1940. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of evidence that has hinted to the fact that she may not have killed herself. Right. Yeah. And Casey her- Affleck, the actor, went back in time and murdered her. <laughs> How high were you for this movie? <laughs> I remember that being part of but the movie. But even like Gene Tetlock's father and stuff went back and burned lots of her documents that she had shared with Oppenheimer, which obviously, as any historian would love to see, um, because he thought that they may have been uh, compelling yeah. towards, you know, when a McCarthy non-suicide. started going after people. And yeah, the Red, Red Scare, Scare was stuff, very real. That was oh, yeah, hardcore yeah. shit. So, uh, yeah. I also think like every movie has like a uh, like a an actor who plays a minor role or a role on like the twelfth minute of the credit scene. Mm-hmm. David Crumholtz, I thought, was a star in the rough who depicted started from Santa Claus. Now he's here, man. Yeah, I thought he was great as uh, <laughs> Isidore Robbie. He's Oppenheimer's one true friend. Like, yeah, he's the one guy who always takes care of him. He visited think, him in the Netherlands to hear his Dutch seminar. And, like, I love that. It's like, yeah, he's train- expecting to be the only English guy there. And, in fact, Oppenheimer delivers it in German and, or Dutch. And suddenly he's just like, ah, shit, I don't know Dutch. The and train scenes with them, like, training fantastic. around Europe. I actually love that. Like, well, in- and the callback they do of in the train originally. Yep. And he's like, oh, eat something. You, you, so yeah, skinny, gives him a slice of an orange. orange. And yeah. then it's way, it's. I don't remember which scene it is. I think it's Oppenheimer mm-hmm. in the hall, like getting ready to go into 
get like interrogated by the panel and he's like, Hey, eat something. Like, yeah. It just shows him like looking out for him and like Constantly truly caring for him. Yeah. And, stuff. and then we already kind of touched on Rami Malik as David Hill. Yeah. Gary Oldman who, who portrays the only other fellow in a fat Super suit. handsome. Josh Hartnett. The returning yeah. Josh Hartnett. Ernest Lawrence. Um, he makes the device that is able to remove. He's able to enrich uranium by removing electrons from uranium, therefore making him a more unstable isotope. Yep. Let me make sure I get my physics correct here. Because, <laughs> you know, I had to do a lot of YouTube that, research. That was on good. That. Yeah, you, yeah. Have, you have been in your rabbit hole, haven't you? You yep. could have said something completely wrong, and I would have been like, yep. Yep, uranium-235 versus 237, or whatever the frig the numbers are. Um, it's some crazy shit. So, but anyway, Josh Hartnett is back. He's handsome. Is he? Is he going to have another role? Like I he thought, he was it. yeah, he, one of the most some... charismatic people yeah, early he, at Berkeley. Yeah. He was very good in this movie. I yeah. think this will lead to more success for him. I so I think I drafted this in the first round of our movie draft, and boy, sure am I glad I did. I mean, I I think that this is a masterpiece. I know that you don't, Chris and Ben. I know that you don't give out that. I know that you don't either, but you thought it was good. I, I do think I want to shine light onto a couple things that I didn't like with the movie. And I'm yeah, sure that you guys do both it. do too. The number one, the one, one of the big issues I had was the misuse of Emily Blunt. Why? Of all the women. It got weird. Well, we'll give it Florence Pugh got freaking weird. That's part two. That We'll get into <laughs> that as part two. But why cast one of the best actresses in Hollywood right now to basically only give her two to three minutes of screen time. I mean, and then when she was on the screen, when she's going back and forth in the hearing with the, like with the uh, atomic energy attorney mm. and they're basically verbally sparring. It's like, it. Oh, you're seeing how good she can be. She gets and, badass as hell for like, yeah, 30 and seconds. When she's maybe. like kind of throwing herself at Oppenheimer in the beginning of the movie where she's like, where he's like, Oh, your husband can come to Los Alamos too. And she was like, yeah, you should invite him. Cause you know, it won't matter. Like <laughs> she's very like, She's really good. I don't think she got enough screen time, though. Like, I don't mm. think that they did a good enough job of, like, I don't think they did a good enough job of showing you that relationship of that he kind of says right before the hearing at the end where he's like, she knows what our relationship is. We've walked through fire together. Like, I think they needed to spend a little bit more time showing that a little bit more clearly. It's just a weird portrayal that Christopher Nolan had of women in that movie because it's the one, like... <laughs> laugh that happened in the movie mm -hmm. was when he's talking to uh, the mistress or whatever and she's like well, you keep there's something about like you keep calling and she's like well stop picking up or whatever Flo yeah Florence Pugh's his lover and yeah. everybody like I don't know there was this weird like dad joke like old ball and chain laugh mm -hmm. of like oh women keeps, am I right like yeah, and they don't know what they want yeah. and like he brings flowers and she keeps throwing them away. Yeah. yeah. And that was like the only laugh that I heard happen. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. And still not something you can laugh at. In yeah. the movie, you know, um, so Nolan's had this problem with women in all of his movies. I was going to try to make you guys tell me one woman who's portrayed positively in no, any you, of his movies. No, you can't. And that's, I mean, I, in the Dark Knight movies, he just switches the actress and it acts like nobody's going to notice. Well, <laughs> I don't think he switched her. I think she wanted out. I think she Either got, way, like, they don't like... They're I just think like, Maggie Gyllenhaal's, women on the Maggie Gyllenhaal's career took off. Yeah, but I do think lots of things. I do think that leads me to my second gripe, but this is more with Nolan in general than it is with this film. I, I don't think it's fair to, like, say it's with this film. His style and he's almost like a little bit obsessive over the same kind of storyline which is like genius man tormented by his own thoughts and then there's a woman who's like 
basically at the mercy of that man's genius, or there's multiple women always like, I would love to see him direct a movie where a woman is like, she's not a damsel in distress or she's not some side thought. Like I'd love to see him direct a movie with a woman as a lead actress. I'm not, I've not seen that from him in all of his films. I've not seen that from him. And I'm sure that he's heard these allegations loud and clear. Like we are not the only people who share this view, but this again, and I guess it's hard to say for this movie specifically that I had an issue with that because like, unfortunately in the 1940s, that is the way that women were portrayed and the way that they were treated. And thankfully we have come a long way and we still have a long way to go. But like, come on, man, take a stand. Well, plus he knew Barbie was coming out. Yeah, so he, he was like, Barbie don't was worry. All the heavy I, they'll lifting, take yeah. care of the ladies will be fine in Barbie. <laughs> ah, this one's for the dudes. Um, not for nothing. My screening of Oppenheimer on Friday night was 90% dudes. Yeah. I don't know about your guys' Probably. showings, but pretty dude heavy. Um, yeah, I am. I'm also not. Um, it, 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 brings, it brings up a lot of questions. The whole Florence Pugh nude scene. Um, Oppenheimer was notoriously promiscuous, not just with um, Tatlock, but with lots of ladies. Yeah. Dude just drank martinis and banged. Um, and like, there's all sorts of jokes about how many babies were uh, made at Los Alamos. Um, there's also allegations that maybe Oppenheimer had some illegitimate ones. Yeah, and, they had that really quick throw in about the one lady, the blonde yeah. there, where he's like, oh, he, he never found out or whatever. Yeah, but in real life, it, from what I understand is that in real life, they didn't, they weren't, they didn't just fuck. Like he loved her too. Like yeah. he wasn't just like a, it was a very intellectual kind of love relationship too. Yeah. He was not the kind of guy that just like, even with Gene Tatlock, like they show them physically on screen mm-hmm. in honestly, one of the craziest sex scenes I've ever seen. It was in a weird. Movie. So yeah, that's the thing is, did it work? And I'm, I would argue it brings a lot of tension, especially in the hearing moments where Florence Pugh's locks eyes with Emily Wilde, um, and I'm sorry, Emily Blunt, totally different Emily's. Emily Blunt, and they have this moment of like, Oppenheimer knows he fucked up and his wife knows that he had many affairs with him. And he, so she's pissed in that moment, but then it immediately flashes off of this nude Florence Pugh body and nude Cillian Murphy body too, which is just, it's just weird. Um, not, not that I'm against nudity in any movie, but it, it's just, I think it didn't serve the scene you, they could have been completely clothed and she could have just grabbed him and like kissed him on the cheek and stared into Emily Blunt's eyes and it would have had the same effect as getting Florence Pugh naked for the sake of having Florence I, I just I disagree with that. I thing. think the okay. scene of them sitting in the chairs, mm-hmm. well, I can't remember if it was the same scene or it kind of blended in the, together. In the right? hotel after. Yeah, she gives a soliloquy yeah. with, her, with her tits out. That part was like, okay, <laughs> like, well, yeah, you guys not, couldn't have shirts. By the way, they're not her, I I did do. She had stunt tits? They, 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 well, I was curious. I was like, Florence Pugh is like pretty young. She's only like 25. I'm like, right. I, I like, I feel kind of, I mean, obviously it's her choice, but I feel right. a little bad that she's just like, feels like she has to like put her tits all over Hollywood right now. But uh, I saw I mean, that they actually have her female wig. actresses for the last 80 years. No, but... I know that, but like, like, I know that. Yeah. But I, I did some research and not in like a perverted way. I was actually <laughs> curious. I was like, I, I was like, like that must be kind of judgy either way. <laughs> I was like, that must be kind of weird just to like, they're like, you see two people on screen, but there's like 20 other people with like cameras and well, lights. Well, they'll do yeah, yeah, yeah. sets for a but lot of those. They, but... She was wearing like a black thing and then they CGI, CGI'd yeah. after. Like she was naked, but they have like a black, it almost looks like a Kevlar like vest or something over it and they CGI'd it on after. Yeah. But that, so like that scene, I like I said, I don't remember specifically, but like did that 
blend into when she's on top of him in the yes because that makes more sense pretty, to me because that I, yeah. that scene didn't seem over the top just because like that's emily blunt's perspective of like that's how, how it's hitting her, her in the is. face yeah, right yeah, that's yeah. how she's like oh and it, and it, she even talks about it. she's like i knew about it but like this is in history like if this ever yeah. goes down this is how it's going to be seen in history and I thought that was effective, but yeah, just them sitting in chairs, top yeah, of it, both of them. I was like, yeah. well, what? you know what? I do have one actually kind of back to the no, like Nolan portray- portrayal of women. He did do a disservice, not to Emily Bunt, but to Kitty, not only to Emily Bunt, but also to Kitty Oppenheimer. Mm. She was a brilliant biologist. Like mm-hmm. she was a scientist too. Right. And he didn't do any, like she just says it casually where she was like, I'm a biologist, but I was upgraded to a housewife. And that's all they ever thought. Like, that yeah. was the only white they ever shot. And then she it. just seems to be like an alcoholic that doesn't want to take care of their kid or something. <laughs> like, and, that's what and, she and, turns well, into. Uh, well, to be fair, to be fair, because we need to state this, he didn't either. Yeah. He fucking sucked at taking care of his kid. Yeah, yeah. Which is obviously the another subplot that we didn't even touch on of how they just give their kids to a known, another known communist, his other great friend. Um, who, who he Chevalier. Them. Yeah, exactly. Um, who obviously lives in exile as a communist. He for, did not deny it. For someone that was clearly so smart, he fucking botched that situation so bad. Yeah. And I heard, I've like heard from a couple of friends who like have read American Prometheus, mm-hmm. the novel to which this was based on. They were like, the movie didn't even do it justice to how bad he fucked that situation up. Like mm. he got himself so knotted up in his own lies and like really just like stumbled all over himself. When? During the the interview stuff just in general with like the the groves thing and then during the inter- like he really fucked yeah up when he's him. like oh maybe check this out because somebody kind of wants these yeah like secrets yeah mm-hmm. with posh like with yeah. Posh, yeah he fucked it it's up like really bad. trying to do the right thing but it just but I, you're drinking martinis all the time it's kind of tough i to love the movie i thought it was phenomenal yeah I, I i still think it's obviously gonna be one of the best movies of the year it's gonna get nominated and awarded and i i think and christopher nolan's you know 11 movies I think you have to consider, you know, top half. It's it's amazing um, achievement and craft wise and movie wise. I'm just happy it's gotten as much money as it's gotten. Um, I, I, the third act slows down a little bit. We've hit that. Like I would say, it's absolutely breakneck until they drop the bomb. And I think it's some sort of expectation of like, are they going to do it? Even though in history we obviously know that the Trinity test is successful and the bomb and everything is going to go off, but there is a sort of will they, won't they belief in it of like you know does does this all go does the science and all the theory turn out to work in real life and obviously we know how history goes when they put that like oh there's a almost zero percent chance that we just blow up the entire atmosphere catches on fire which like how irresponsible yeah yeah like like, my great-grandparents could have been killed man what the fuck we wouldn't have known we wouldn't have been here uh and so but you can't tell me that the air doesn't get sucked out of the movie a little bit once the bombs drop and they know it's successful. And then there's a little bit of tension of, you know, are we going to drop bombs on Japan? But the moment they send the bombs on the trucks out of Los Alamos and you know that it's then just a political showdown, I feel like the energy of the movie and even the editing style and the amount of cuts goes to way longer shots on the individual people in the counselor room and the whole uh, Atomic Energy Commission. I think that's when the movie becomes... It's funny because I, if everyone, you all know how mm-hmm. Nolan directs movies, and there's always like this big twist and this big reveal, sure. and there's that's like his thing. He's known for it, and right. even though you know he's it's no coming, Shyamalan. you yeah. all, 
but Inception, <laughs> Interstellar, like you lots always, of them twist. Yeah. You, even Batman, even the Batman movies, sure. like you know they're coming. Twist. And even though you know they're coming, he always gets you with them. But this, the third act, like the Louis Strauss, mm-hmm. like manhunt for Oppenheimer, that was where I felt like it was like signature Nolan though. And it was like, he had, I, I thought it worked really well because I thought the first two hours of the movie were like really advanced, technically skilled filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like just like pulling out every trick in the book, near perfect. And even the third act, like I do agree with you, the momentum slows down. But I think it's intentional and it's just a showcase right, more makes of you his focus, talents. Yeah, and it like, makes you focus more on his theme of like, do, do academics and intellectuals get burdened by politics and men who seek power and not quote-unquote truth, right? Knowledge. Right, knowledge and whatever. So I I, I don't know. And in an in, in in era now where we've seen so much more of that of you know anti-intellectualism and all of this kind of stuff, it... Maybe it's just because I didn't want to hear it, you know, for a hundredth time that it was happening in the 1940s too. And maybe that makes me feel better that it was also happening, you know, yeah. now 80 years ago. But <laughs> it's the same shit over and over. Yeah, again. <laughs> and history repeating itself. Um, but that that was my only other beef is like, you know, is that the third the third act slows down. But it, I can't quite go to masterpiece, but. I will tell you that this movie will be studied by every film school Agreed. Yeah. forever because of all of its craft stuff. I said this to my buddy. He texted me the night of. He was like, the night after, like the night I saw it, he was like, what do you think? And I was like, I, I'll have to scroll back through my messages. I was like, I truly believe that like this movie is mon- will be monumental in the history of film. Mm-hmm. Like I, I truly believe like this will be like before this movie and after this movie, like new technology, new techniques, Mm. will evolve because of this movie. And new ways to cut. Obviously, Christopher Nolan back in his bag with the whole time-jumping nonsense, because it does. It, in order to be this densely and compare so many things against each other, it bounces from the 1950s back to the 1920s, back to the 1930s, back to the 40s, and back to the 50s, and back and forth and forth again. And, the score was just so And so Nolan, and they used the black and white film versus the color film to do more of the future tense versus the past tense. That's why it's funny, though, that the future stuff the closest to us is like black and white. yeah yeah right? like, oh, well. but you know and it just separates in your mind and just how clear nolan's able to tell all the story bouncing back and forth multiple timelines all the super super dense stuff to make it coherent that's that's what's insane about the movie and i, I think i'm good leaving it there i've got one yeah well fun we eh, maybe not fun we're depends going to, on we're your going to crits corner we're going right to crits corner this is a different podcast but <laughs> Uh, there was, I listened to this podcast about, uh, John Wayne okay, and about how much of a piece of shit John Wayne was and Dif- yeah, different era, but known racist, known, yeah, known no, piece of just shit on a lot of levels. Big, yeah. Just a real big piece. Uh, Marion, I think his real name is mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, they filmed Who a very cool has ever been named Mary. Yeah. The Mr. Sir from the movie holes, his actual name is Marion. Mm. So <laughs> Well, no way, one cool has ever been given that. They name. filmed. Uh, a, I mean, I guess it's probably pretty racist because uh, they filmed a movie where he played uh, John Wayne played Genghis Khan yes. for whatever reason. Bad look. And uh, <laughs> they filmed it. Yeah, that's weird. In the desert, very close to where they were testing the bombs. Yes. And uh, apparently, everybody on that. Got radiation movie, sickness. Got yeah, pretty yeah. much died from cancer because they asked them. They're like, "We're filming pretty close. Is it cool?" And they're like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Don't worry, you guys will be fine." 
not so much. Well, there's uh, still radiation at Los Alamos today. Oh, yeah. Which is, yeah, the Trinity test site. So one of my favorite YouTube videos, if you want to go check it out, is you can you can actively go there. It's, it's a tourist site. Um, but a guy walks in with a Geiger counter. Um, you're not supposed to be above, God, what was it? 200 particles per, whatever. If the Geiger counter hits 200, bad news bears. Yeah. Um, he was regular. I know I got to read, check those numbers, but basically there's definitely radiation there. And if you live there, you would have lots of problems, but if you're only going to visit for an hour, it's safe and healthy and whatever. It's less than Chernobyl, maybe for but sure. It's like, um, but just insane. Like there's still particles of Trinitite is what they call it. Um, uh, because the atomic blast got so hot, it created a, another element, you know, which is just insane. Um, our new, a new compound and those Trinitite, pieces are still very radioactive so like if you hold one in your hand like the geiger counter goes insane yeah but obviously you wouldn't want to hold on to one for long because they're like actively releasing uh radiation well, so, so insane no you go okay i just thought of something kind of interesting like so when they're having all these debates about the mm -hmm. bomb and all this yeah. shit you know knowing what we know now we've created you know nuclear energy and nuclear power yes. plants and stuff like that which can go wrong. And I think a lot of people have bad Fear. opinions of yes. it just because of the times it has go wrong, gone wrong and how wrong it can go. Yes. But it's, it's a, I think it's actually a fairly safe thing as long mm -hmm. as you aren't cutting corners and a bunch of shit like that. But it's kind of interesting. None of them are thinking about it in terms of that. Like once they create it, it's all bomb, bomb, bomb. Mm -hmm. Not, okay, how can we use this to create cleaner energy, energy or yeah, something yeah. like yeah. that? Where maybe they're not thinking about, like, maybe they're like, we're fine with the energy we got. We're not looking at and, and climate change is a problem or whatever. But Right. Because the drama of the movie, obviously, is focusing on bomb. Like, Niels Bohr and, like, a lot of these scientists, they did. They wanted to use it for energy and for peacetime solutions yeah. and all this other stuff. And ironically, Teller, who... The hydrogen bomb is basically a fusion bomb, which is insane because it takes a fission bomb to release enough energy to mash hydrogen into each other so fast and so hard that it then creates a fusion reaction, which generates twice the amount of energy. Yeah. And there, there's your, your hydrogen bomb and the next bomb, which is insane. A bomb inside of a bomb to create a bigger bomb, right? And so, but in madness that now, you know, after the, the post-Oppenheimer hype now is, do you think this movie is going to spur more scientists to get excited about nuclear physics and all this energy? Because already it made me brush up on my physics and all my science. I think there's going to be kids that are like, holy crap, this is one of the most exciting things that's ever been done. I want to go into the field of physics. I want to do this very, very difficult study. Um, and because, yeah, climate change might be able to be solved with fusion yeah. energy or I, good, cheap nuclear energy could solve the power crisis. Right? I don't think like it'll make existing scientists mm. more interested in it because I think that they probably already know it. Right. If you like went to grad the, school, you're already at there. At the time, but nuclear yeah. physics were like cutting edge. Now, like they're part of like, if you study science in an advanced degree, like you pretty right. much have to go through that. But I do think to your point, like it will probably inspire a lot of like young kids to mm -hmm. be very interested in that kind of stuff. What they do you think, did Chris? make it seem cool. I remember seeing a part of it where they smoke cigarettes and drink martinis. When there's something <laughs> where they're, neutrons, yeah. they're talking yeah. about it and... God, I, I wish I could remember the specific scene, but there's there was something where I was like, oh damn, like maybe I should have looked into like this stuff because it is cool. Like, yeah. and you're you're watching it, and there's this crazy like these theories, and they're talking so in depth about just the entirety of the galaxy and shit. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, oh, I can mix this chemical with this chemical, and this shit happens. It's like on a theoretical level, yeah, there's some shit going on. Oppenheimer's that, like, most famous contribution, not the bomb, 
in the physics world, it's that he figured out that a black hole would exist on itself. And so, and the idea that- He never NASA's, won the Nobel Prize either, which is insane. Right. And like, what a bunch of bullshit. But his theoretical that masses could pull on themselves so hard or they could collide so hard into each other that it would eventually release a huge amount of energy was sort of how he got parts of the idea of the nuclear bomb. Was, so, it, was it in the movie where he was talking about Nobel, like the guy- Invented dynamite. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I thought that so, was funny too. It's funny. Tenet is Christopher Nolan's last movie, mm. and there's a line of dialogue in Tenet where they actually say something about Robert Oppenheimer. Mm. Which, if that movie was released in 2020, it probably started filming a few years prior. He, right. Christopher Nolan, notoriously shoots very quickly, but his editing takes a long. Like he does, he. This Sorry, I think I the whole it. movie was shot in uh, 50 days for Oppenheimer, but he yeah. spent like a year and a half editing. Yeah. So I imagine they since 2018-ish, he's been thinking about this concept is what it's believed to be. Um, I do think there's a lot of pressure to have a budget. 100 mil is not a huge budget for him, but it's a huge budget, budget generally. Mm. I, I mean, I feel like he just always rises to the occasion. Like, well, and compared to like a Tenant, this movie didn't need a ton of special effects and shit, right? right. Yeah, like, and Tenant, I chalk up to a little bit of like. Well, Tenant sucked. There was a COVID post production too. Sure. Like we were like, I'll chalk Tenant up to that. I have gone back and watched Tenant a few times. I liked it more every time. Sure, I did like it more every time. What do you think? Should we break down? Should we break down our top five? I, I think so. I think then we get off of Oppenheimer. Obviously, it's a dense text. I think we're all recommending, even Chris, I think we'll acknowledge at this point. Don't get it as high as you want to. <laughs> <laughs> but very dense text and worth visiting, probably worth revisiting several times. Um, great movie. Uh, let, let's go through Nolan. Um, I want Because you mentioned it, I, I want to give the timeline of Nolan. Um, we wrote all 11 feature films. Started in 2000. I thought Nolan was a little bit later than that. Um, Starts in 2000. He's in his 30s. Rips off Memento, 2000. Insomnia, 2002. Batman begins. And then he's off to the races because now he's got tons of money behind him. In 2005. The Prestige, arguably one of his favorite movies in 2006. Dark Knight comes out in 2008. Uh, wins a ton of awards. Expands the Ox the Oscars from five movies to ten movies because of the Dark Knight. Another huge... Uh, Broke the game. Notch in Nolan's belt. Inception in 2010. Dark Knight Rises 2012, Interstellar 2014. So every two to three years, Dunkirk 2017, Tenet 2020, Oppenheimer 2023. So he slowed down a little bit from every two years putting out a movie to every uh, three years. But still, breakneck pace for someone who's basically the most bankable director in, in the business. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to run through. Uh, Shane and I have properly ranked them. Chris, did you end up doing a ranking? I put some stuff in there. But you were probably high, weren't uh, you? Uh, currently? <laughs> Not as high as when I saw Oppenheimer. <laughs> Um, so let's let's go from five to one to keep this a little exciting here. Um, let's each go around and do our number five. Mine is the prestige. Um, it is the Christian Bale uh, versus Wolverine <laughs> magic story. Why can't I think of his name? Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Huge jacked man. Huge jacked man. I think David um, Bo- isn't David Bowie in it too? David Bowie pre death. Great, great, amazing movie about magic and deception and you know what it takes to rise to power. Um, number five is the prestige for me. Uh, my number five, and I will say my like my three through five are interchangeable on any day mm. for me, pretty much. My number five is Interstellar. I had a hard time putting it in the five spot, but I I do feel confident that it belongs in my top five, but I can't put it above three. 
I love Anne Hathaway. I really, really love me some Texas boy, uh, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Man, Interstellar, I don't know. Not not for me. Anyway, number five, Chris. Uh, I have the prestige because I realized I haven't seen a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, apparently. You've seen five out of uh, the 11? I think I've seen well, Memento, but it's been 11. a long time. So you got seven out of the 11. But you, did, you didn't I have tried the pride to, to put Oppenheimer in. The movie that you did see, you did refuse to put in the top five. Yeah, I didn't put that in. You're shooting almost 70% from the field yeah. right now. Well, <laughs> you know. Um, so the, the prestige hanging out. Number four, I have Memento. The movie that started all the jokes about putting Memento tattoos on your arms so you don't forget things. Um, long Shadow, uh, his first foray in messing with time yep. and the way you tell a story. Yep. And um, Trinity from The Matrix in there, too. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. My number four, I had a hard time putting this in the force. This, I, if someone were to say this was his best film, I couldn't argue it. My personal four favorite is The Dark Knight. Wait, wait to foreshadow, Shane. Wait to No, I just like, no, it's people, <laughs> I think a lot of people would say that's their favorite Nolan film. It's a damn near perfect film, but it's mm. not my favorite. Fair enough. It does reek of the IP generation of, of superheroes. Fair enough. What did you have as your number four, Chris? Batman Begins. I mean, grow up. I thought Peter Batman Pan. Begins was my least favorite of the Batman trilogy. Oh, and, my my least favorite is The Dark Knight Rises. That movie. We had a, a hot text. Not only yeah. do I not only do I not like The Dark Knight Rises as a known film, I don't think it's a good film at all. As someone who didn't watch Peaky Blinders and hasn't watched a lot of other Cillian Murphy stuff. He's still a scarecrow to me. That's like yeah. my first Cillian oh, Murphy. Yeah, you, should yeah, watch oh, yeah. or you should also watch The Way the Wind Shakes the Barley. That's really yeah, good, too. Yeah. I, I know Cillian Murphy's resume is far more padded out than I'm giving him any you know credit for, but um, I still, yeah, the scarecrow performance from uh, Begins is my favorite Cillian Murphy. What's in your three spot, Benny? Um, number three is Inception for me. This was a humongous college movie for me. Mm. Leo working with Nolan. Jay- it was JGL, it was, just it, Gordon Levitt. I know, and and uh, my other dude uh, always wears the mask, comes back as Bane. Oh, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Yeah, un- 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 unbelievable yeah, comic was, relief in this in this in that movie. Ellen now Elliot Page. Is yeah, also, yeah, yeah. She was very good. Lights, were, lights out cast. He now the special yeah. effects. I don't know if you go back. It's, they I just yeah. Yeah, Spe- they special effects. In insane. I think he set a whole new level for himself. Inception's my number three. My number three is Dunkirk, which is very funny because the first time I saw Dunkirk, I was drunk in a movie theater mm. and remember very little of it. And then I had to go back and rewatch it like multiple years later. Sean and I watched it and she was like, didn't you see this in the movies? And I was like, I did. I don't remember a lot of it though, mm. but God damn it, I think it's a great film. I remember my Steffi watching the movie and being upset and it was just like, why do they keep jumping around? Just tell a story in one straight line, <laughs> would you please? So Christopher and Nolan was just like, Yeah, you got to get on the Christopher Nolan train. Yeah. Uh, what do you have as number three, Chris? I also have Inception as number three. Uh, did you guys ever see the South Park episode of where they did in, in, in Sheepshin? <laughs> no, no, it's funny though. Oh, it's fantastic. They like do it I where... I know I'm watching as soon as I get off this pod. <laughs> they're like, it's like a hoarding thing like okay. these people are all hoarding and they're trying to figure out why they're hoarding so they go into their dreams oh right right, right. and it's hilarious but i do think i watched that episode in college it just yeah, took me they're kind of making fun back. of it and they just keep being like it's it's like a taco inside of a taco in a taco bell inside of a mall inside of your dreams <laughs> oh man i love south park so much and now the more you say that the more i remember that the, the more best is that one of them is a, a sheep herder mm-hmm. and they they keep saying like he's a hoarder 
And mm. he's like, no, I herd sheep. And they're like, yes, you are herding the sheep by hoarding them. <laughs> uh, number, my number two is Dunkirk. Um, it's, I think is his movie that gains the most after rewatch and rewatch other than my number one. So Dunkirk rules. Um, he's just strapped a camera on everything. Planes, boats, yeah. bombs, whatever, you name it. He strapped a camera to it. Nolan just thinks differently. Killian about Murphy's awesome movie. in that too. Yeah. I, I, I also forget the, yeah. Uh, and that's insanely. a uh, very, um, he was in fucking the Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, yeah. And the, Banshees of Insurance. Barry, he, he has a breakout role there, and he got nominated for best supporting. But he actor. was in Barry. Can it's not Kavanaugh. It's Barry uh, Keoghan. Yes, Barry Keoghan. He Coming was in that. Party. He was very good yeah. in it. And also, Harry Styles was in it too. Yeah, which that was like the only thing he's ever been good in. Um, my number two, shamelessly, is Oppenheimer. I don't think it's shamelessly. I, th- I think I think time will tell show you on the right side of putting it that high. And boy, am I glad I drafted it. With my first round pick, I, I, I'm with Chris. I don't know. It's just because you couldn't get it. It's too new for me, and I love those other movies so much. I do think Oppenheimer will slowly climb the ranks for me. It's just a matter of I've seen Prestige like four times. I've seen Memento like seven times. I've seen Inception at least I don't know three or four times. I, I think on rewatches, without spending twenty three dollars on a movie ticket, I will yeah. enjoy Oppenheimer more. What's your number two, Chris? Oh, Transformers. Yeah, <laughs> he's that's Michael Bay. I wanted to see what you guys would do if I said transform. That's Michael Bay. Uh, I have The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, Chris. Yeah. Come on. I love that movie. We, we were having a hot debate on the in the group text the other day. But it was res- just for all of our listeners. It was a respectful yeah. hot debate. Of Christopher Nolan movies. Every, and when I say before. hot debate, I mean like a like a sexually attractive debate. <laughs> nope. Not bad. <laughs> of, of Christopher Nolan movies I revisited before Oppenheimer, I went back and watched Dark Knight Rises. I, wa- I was like, I want to see the special effects when he blows up the football field. That movie fucks. I want to see like him just in his bag doing special effects. And that movie delivers for sure. Did it give you like flashbacks when they went under the football field? Yeah, I was like, oh, here we go. Like, oh, it's going to blow up. We're back to Times Ward <laughs> is, is just going to walk into the end zone untouched here. <laughs> yeah. Was the plane in the beginning of Dark Knight Rises a real practical shot? Or was that CGI? Oh, they had I don't know. Right? Man. The danger they would have put so many people in. as fuck, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's so anyway. fucking cool. Uh, my number one is The Dark Knight. Um, it's just... They flip a tractor you can't, you trailer with practical with effects. Yeah. The motorcycle actually did the thing. And it's just like... You can't argue with come that. Come on, effect. man. I mean, the, like, the cast top to bottom is just stacked. Every I don't think there's any bad performance in that movie. Go, go back and any listen to the Batman pod. Performance. I see what you did. There. Yeah. Go back and listen to the Batman podcast. Me and Chris break it down real it's hard. True. If you want more Batman in your life, that was that was before that. my time on the pod. Mm-hmm. I listened though. Yeah. I was I was a I was a fan. I'm you still gotta do fan. your homework. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm still a fan. My number one pick. So I actually go back and I watch this movie every year. There are like ten movies in my life that I remember exactly where I was like the first time I watched them, and this is one of them. I go back and I watch The Prestige every year. My favorite Nolan film by far. You and Aaron Rodgers share that sentiment. Fuck. Which- <laughs> I did not you stop that. doing that, buddy. Fuck. What's next? Ayahuasca? So uh, one of our friends, uh, he, he told me a story about watching that movie with his sister. Who? Uh, Bundy. Oh, this will be good. Yeah, and he said that they were sitting there and, and she just kept trying to guess the twist. Like, I think she knew that there was a twist. <laughs> and so, like... I think he was like, yo, I fucked up. I told her there was a twist, like, too I could early. see him getting so mad, being like, shut up. And so, yeah, her whole thing was, and so I think she did guess the twist early, but only because she was just, like, aware of a twist and trying to guess yeah, it the she, whole time. she was shooting, like, 10%. Oh, of yeah, I'm pretty sure she was just firing them off, but, like, got one of them. 
That's uh, great. My final one is also The Dark Knight, though. It's a banger. It is. Fellas, this has been amazing. It's been very Christopher Nolan. It's been very dense. I feel slightly smarter, slightly more educated after talking to you guys. I might chop about... the podcast up and like make it kind of jump is, around is a little more and get a very oh, Christopher oh, Nolan y. With it, you <laughs> know, time, time get a little inception y on it. Should we? Does anyone have a violin or a cello or something? We could play it and like just basically like score, score this episode of the pod. <laughs> So I think this, it's scored by Nala snoring. And, and this, yeah, and this is where I start spinning the top to see if I'm dreaming or not. How <laughs> long? You know, a 90 minute pod. I feel like I've listened to way longer pods. I just listened to a two hour rewatchable on oh, yeah. a few good men. So I think yeah. we're in good company on I think movies. We're here. doing just fine. Very dense text on a three hour movie that is going to win a shit ton of awards. Um, go watch it. Oppenheimer. Uh, next time when we're back, we're going to do the director game. I wrote a list of directors and. Um, I think we're going to have Chris and Shane, or vice versa, we're going to name movies and see if if we can name the director. Oh, I will be very always, bad at that. Always oh, the actors it. and the um, the actors get all the credit, right? Everybody knows Leonardo DiCaprio. Everybody knows Tom Cruise. But do you know some of the directors behind some of who's your favorite Tom, movies? No, who's Tom's not. Cruise? Tom's Cruise. What's, uh, uh, I actually, I, there was something from the last app mm-hmm. that I wanted to bring up on this app, and I forgot too. Don't let me forget. I have something I want to say about Sam Mendes in our next app. What what a great director! Do, oh, then, well, do no. people even know what he's directed? Oh. So people, this is, a, this is a great segue into the next pod. So this is homework for people. A little homework. Go look up what Sam Mendes did. I uh, do the, have one question yeah. before we wrap it up. With the writer strike going on, and now the current actor yes. strike and all that stuff, and a lot of big bombs going off <laughs> in the not just Oppenheimer, but like actual movies that yes. have not done so well. Do you think that these kind of thing, like this kind of a weekend or that opening Will, weekend of Barbie a Barbie be and an Oppen- are sure. those like that we're starved for that kind of stuff and that can help the writers and actors in their quest to get more stuff? Or you mean like Christopher Nolan? No, well, I mean, so I don't know. Like these, both of these movies are interesting in a way of. They're not, I mean, I guess Barbie is IP and yeah. in a certain sense, history. I think is, what Barbenheimer overwhelmingly did for the strike and for Hollywood in general is that it's another showcase that if all the craftspeople come together and create an amazing product, it's going to print money. Whether it is a plastic doll or whether it is a historical dramatization of a biography piece. Um, when all the really good writers and craftspeople come together and do something, it prints money. And yeah. I know, and that's what everybody wants. That's what everybody wants to win. And so in a way it's going to say good writing, you know, good writing is worth something. And like, this is something that AI can't recreate. This is something that like the stats on, because both these movies were in the movies and all their sales so far have been in the box office. We know how much they've seen. So like point number two, and we broke this down in the last pod is, you know, all the stats on how many people are actually seeing these, um, these two are success because we can actually see the numbers. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I don't think Barbenheimer will be quote unquote recreated, but I think it gives a lot of ammunition to the strikers against the companies saying, you want this to keep happening? You need to. You, you need can't to just us. put shit out and yeah. expect people to come eat it up every time. Correct, correct. And just, and again, like we've seen so many pieces of IP go wrong, and Barbie did it so right. And same thing with bi- historical biographies. There's so many that are so bad. And by showing what the the peak of it could look like, I, I think 
people are ready. And also, not for nothing, but everybody who's on the marketing team of both Oppenheimer and Barbie oh, needs, needs to raise stat. They crush it. Because I think more than anything, yes, these are two great films, but the marketing and just the attention in the larger culture was a huge part of why these were successful. When I was leaving the theater from seeing Oppenheimer, mm -hmm. in the movie theater they had, in the lobby, they had like the Barbie and Ken boxes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, go yeah, everybody take and their picture. Brother Instagram pictures. So yeah. we're walking out and I, I saw two people go into the boxes and I hear the person take the picture go, we didn't even see Barbie. <laughs> like, yeah. so it's enough of a poll where people are like, yeah, both of them were interesting enough to like audiences to get them yeah. to go. All I know is I want to see a lot more kids getting in those physics programs at the college. <laughs> and I hope that nuclear fusion happens in my lifetime so that we can upset uh, climate change. Because I, I am I... I I got to bring this up. Are you more afraid of climate change or the nuclear bomb? Climate change now. Yeah, climate right? change is I feel uh, like like the nuclear bomb. I feel like if if, if it weren't to happen, it would have just happened by now. Like the nuclear bomb, the, the nuclear bomb. I'm not like there's nothing I can do about yeah. the nuclear bomb. Like if right. someone if, if somebody happens, goes rogue and Putin, there or are things that Kim we Jong can actively goes, do yeah. about climate change yeah. to try to make it better. I don't know. I'm reading this book uh, right now, and there's a very interesting quote that mm. I, I actually took a picture of. It's uh, environmentalism's present paradox is that under the pretext of saving the planet from desolation, it merely saves the cause of its desolation. Mm. So we're the ones fucking it all up. And we just keep extending our own shit. And, and that's the only thing I can... That when I walked out of Oppenheimer, I'm like, we still got to figure out how to get more CO2 out of the air. Because, yeah. <laughs> the like, yeah. these, these bombs didn't help, for one. But, like, also, the nuke isn't on the top of my list of, like, holy crap, we need to fix this problem, so, you know? Yeah. Um, even though this is starting to get a little, little frisky over there in Eastern Europe. But, like, um, anyway, uh, we'll go into bomb. There's some bomb stats at the end of the Barbie pod, if you want to go check those <laughs> out. Um, so, anyway... Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening. And you can check us out on Drop the Remote on Instagram. Check us, Drop us a line at droptheremotepod at gmail.com. Let's, let's see if we can get a mailbag episode. Flood, yeah, the, we, flood the Gmail. Have we checked the mailbox at all? No. We will log into Gmail for the first time in yeah. at least three let, months. Let's get a, um, let's get a mailbag. Since yeah. pre-baby. Email and, the Gmail account. Questions. Get some questions, ideas out there. Let's talk about them on the pod. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks, fellas. Peace. 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 Thank you.